now at this time, and I just maybe feel the need to, just before the kids are dismissed, maybe we've talked a little bit about Israel, and I mean, that's a pretty big pretty big deal for Israel to be in a state of war. I mean, that, that, that is a very significant thing. I mean, normally, I think at the first mention, maybe 50 years ago, I mean, everybody would have been running to David Jeremiah, and what does this mean? And, and, and we're going to see books being written, I know, in a hurry. Uh, but for some reason, I'm just thinking, like, to have those conversations with our kids, like, why is that such a big deal, right? So that they're watching the news, um, you know, whether they're in the public school, they hear that, like, what's the big deal about Israel? Well, well, biblically, there's a lot going on. And I just think, I mean, encouragement, kids, Carly, ask mom and dad why Israel being at war right now is such a big deal biblically, okay? Right, Ragan, Marin, ask mom and dad why that's such a big deal at dinner time, okay? All right, my, my, I, I wash my hands clean of it now. Oliver, you can too. I, I know, but... Uh, um, so I'll dismiss the kids at this point, because if we don't, guess what? It doesn't happen, and you probably grow up like a farm boy like me, where it's like, I don't know where Israel is, right? The Bible's about me, <laughs> right? My Jesus, and that'll be a, a humorous. Well, hopefully, hopefully you still have your notes from last week, okay? This is a three-part series as we work through Acts chapter 9. Um, if you did grab a second copy, and if you don't have a copy, um, Maybe inconspicuously try and get that if you don't have a copy. Maybe nod your head. This isn't an altar call. It's all good. Um, but it does help. Help, I know, especially for people that don't know me very well. Sometimes they might find me a little random, and my notes do try and connect things. Uh, they almost kind of replace my wife in a way. She's been, she's been known to be my interpreter when people are like, what's he talking about? And she's able to do that. But we are in Acts chapter 9 this morning. And uh, Saul, I mean, my, my Bible uses the word conversion. The Damascus Road, Saul is converted. Uh, I think that's kind of a generic term. I think that's maybe a little bit of a religious term. Um, just because as you study through it, um, I don't know, conversion seems... Uh, a little bit surface for me. but um, So why don't I pray? Um, we'll read through the text, verses 1 to 9. Um, last week I just kept asking, like, what, what would it take to bring Saul into submission to Christ the King? What would it take for him to, like, I mean, here's a man that, that I mean, has a great command of the Old Testament Scriptures. His entire training is looking for the coming Messiah, I mean, Jesus is raising the dead. I mean, he's, he's healing the sick. He's preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, he's doing everything. And the whole time, Jesus is going, I am God's only son. I am the son of David, seed of David. I mean, I don't know how much clearer he could be. And yet here Saul's like, no. High priest is saying, no. And I mean, what, what does it take to, to move a hardened heart to that place of believing. And that's why the Spirit of God through the Word of God is such an important principle. Uh, people can sit in church all their lives and still reach that place of just going, I'm not interested. Right? And it is the Spirit of God through the Word of God. So let me pray, we'll read, and then we'll collect some thoughts. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We do thank you for 
well, I'd say the reason why we've gathered, we've, we've gathered here in your house because it is the Lord's Day, it's the Resurrection Sunday, and, and it is a day throughout history where your people have gathered together to worship, to pray, and to be taught. And Lord, I pray that um, that would be on our hearts. Lord, we would be thinking on perhaps why we're here this morning. Is it just because it's Thanksgiving? Is it just because it's expected? Or is it just because it's what my grandparents did? Lord, I pray that, that you would speak to our hearts in that special way that we know you do. And Lord, that we would, we would do business with you. And Lord, as we read through this narrative, Lord, I pray that, that this wouldn't just be facts, this wouldn't just be knowledge. Lord, that we would allow you to speak through your words, and Lord, that we would see the applications grow out of this. And just calm me as, as we read and, and we share, and uh, we just look for you to, to show us your truth. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, here we are in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Um, if we were to put a timeline on it, let's say we're within, we're under a year after Jesus has been crucified. Um, we're, the, the events um, are just following Stephen and his martyrdom. He sees the Son of Man, King Jesus, standing at the right hand, calling him home, which enraged the, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the Jews even more. And, and that's the momentum that's behind this. It says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And last week, I mean, we, we went through our lists, and I mean, the high priest, whether it was Caiaphas or Annas, I mean, they were leading the trials against Jesus. Like, like not even, let's say, eight months before. They're the ones that gave Jesus the guilty verdict. They're the ones that had to explain the three hours of darkness, had to explain the temple curtain being torn, had to explain, they're the ones that paid the soldiers to seal the, the tomb, that the, the, the stone was removed. I mean, they're the ones, and yet he was that hard that they had to remove this. Verse 2 says, And asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, right, the ones that had committed and, and publicly identified to follow Jesus, uh, stepping away from Judaism, Pharisaic Judaism, in many ways that had been twisted by man to follow, follow Christ. Whether men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Verse 3 says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. That is very, very significant. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, if you're holding a, a new King James or a King James, you have a side note there for the next little part. There should be a one. And in the older manuscripts, the rest of, of verse 5 and the, the beginning of verse 6 aren't in the older manuscripts. If you have anybody reading from an ESV, 
think Edward there runs an ESV. An ESV there um, words this differently because of that. And I just mentioned so nobody's alarmed. Um, but our new King James and King James continues. It says, it is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, and this is where the, the ESV would pick up, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. If you quiet yourself, can you imagine that kind of experience? <laughs> it would have been quite something. Verse 8, though, then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So without, and I don't want to dwell on last week because I am a dweller, but if you were to take, take your notes and just on that first page, I have a question, and I proposed it last week. Um, questions from study, you'll see it about three quarters of the way down. Here in this text, beginning in verse 1, we see Saul in a rage, right? And I mean, he's breathing threats, murder against the disciples of the Lord. I mean, he's doing everything in his power, and he's even going to a higher power to remove what he doesn't agree with. And I asked myself the question, what is Saul's problem? I mean, really, like, like what is it that is under his skin to the point where he's willing to kill people? For the sake of, I mean, it would be in the name of Jehovah, the one true God. These people following Christ need to die. What was Saul's problem? And for me there, and I know as a church we've worked through it, and repetition is the best teacher, but I asked the question, was Saul in a rage over Jesus being king, right, being the highest authority, being the leader of the way? Or was Saul in a rage because of the message that Jesus had preached just before his crucifixion, right? The message that the apostles were preaching in the temple, right? So, and we're not going to read it, but we have to visit it. What bothered Saul so much? So just come back to Matthew 24, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, and we're just going to read the titles of this, and I, I want you to read this at home. This was the last public sermon that Jesus gave before his arrest. Now, we have the upper room, and we have a lot of different teachings after that, but his last public address to the people of Israel in Jerusalem, right, in the temple vicinity, okay? My title in my Bible at the beginning of verse 24, after all the woes, it says, Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. All right? Jesus is preaching a message that Israel is going to be dealt with, right? Jesus is predicting, or predicting prophetically, stating that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And if you were, and, and coincidence, I don't think so, with Israel being at war, I suggest you go read through Matthew 24, because that's about the beginning of sorrows, that's all the, the different things that are going to happen. And as Jesus is teaching that, we know there's a near context in AD 70, but we also know, and it's not because David Jeremiah teaches this, it's because it's in Scripture, right? 
that we live knowing that there's a beginning of sorrows, wrath that's coming, that we are going to be saved from. So back to what's Saul's problem. Can you imagine if somebody was standing on this street corner saying, the government's going to come in and destroy this church because they're living in rebellion and have rejected God? What would our response be? Would, would, would it stir up something? A little bit of energy? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it would certainly cause a reaction. And here Saul is, he's saying, your house of worship, your heritage, what your daddy and his granddaddy and his granddaddy believed, it's all been, been, been for nothing because you've been living in rebellion and God is going to remove it and you. That's a serious, serious thing. So Saul had a problem with the message that Jesus preached, and then just coming ahead to Acts chapter 2, and we won't visit it. I'm not going to dwell on it, right? We know that every mention of God dealing with his people in wrath, it's always balanced with hope and love. But in Acts chapter 2, Peter's first sermon once the church started was from where? Joel chapter 2. And what is it about? It's about the day of the Lord. Right? God is going to deal with his people. Now we know, and this might morph into something, um, we know that before things can get right, right, we know God has to, and I had a note here at, at some point, we know before, uh, sorry, it was a really good statement I wrote down this week, and I don't think it's going to come to me. But before things can be made right, God has to, biblically, God has to pour out his wrath. And we know that, and we know that in our minds. We don't like talking about that. And, 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 and Jesus taught that. The apostles taught that. That was the first message of the church. The, the New Testament lived with that was coming. God is going to make things right, but the wrath has to come because he loves us, and that's the way Jesus is going to introduce. Saul had a problem with that message. Rightly so, because he didn't have that, that grasp of the Old Testament scriptures, and he was following a system that didn't allow for that. Just coming back to Acts chapter 9, and I'll maybe, I, I want you to think on that in, in, in proper terms, but when we were in Israel three years ago, okay, I thought it was a lot longer than that. My timelines and my life are getting all mixed up here, but uh, we, we spent a lot of time in Jerusalem. And we went with a group that, that was just in love with Israel. I mean, it, it, I don't think they were part of the Zion movement, but everything was focused on Jerusalem and the temple and, and, and everything. And I remember standing, we were at Friends of Israel, I think, Museum, and, and the leader of the group asked me to share a devotional, and we were looking at Mount Olives. I mean, we were singing hymns, and it's a beautiful time, right? But I shared from Zechariah 14, because before Christ takes his throne, right, something has to happen. And Zechariah 14 is all about when the Son of Man comes with his angels, right, with his saints, sorry, and the Mount of Olives is split in two and Jerusalem's under siege, right? There is a great massacre going on because they had rejected God, and that's how God purifies that. And we're standing there looking at the Mount of Olives going, there's a serious thing we have to consider here thinking about Israel declaring war, right, yesterday, that was my first thought. 
right? I mean, yes, beginning of sorrows, there's a lot going on, but, but the Bible says God will deal in his righteous judgment severely with his people for rejecting him. So, I mean, if this is it, this war has to happen, right? There has to be death and carnage and, and, and read Zechariah 14. It has to happen. We pray for that city. We pray for that country. But we know biblically these things have to happen. That is the narrative. And we have to be ready and we have to be teaching the scriptures. So that's all, that's all for free. But coming back to Acts chapter 9, okay, we have to understand the scriptures. Right? This is what we run to. And Saul had a problem with the message. And I mean, I can understand that he had a problem with the message because it didn't fit with his system. Saul's beloved religion was being challenged. I say religion, Pharisaic Judaism. His building's going to be destroyed. Saul's ideal, Saul's, his way was going to be removed. I could go in two different directions here. But I did ask the question, and part of when you write notes down, even a week and a half ago, you have to kind of go through them. So I did ask the question a week and a half ago. What if we were to teach the New Testament scriptures and the gospel, understanding that this Malachi or this tribulation, this second coming is imminent? What follows immediately the rapture? Tribulation wrath, right? The second coming. That, that is coming the moment that we are caught up, right? How would, if we started teaching that, how would the religious community respond to that message? God is love. God sent his son to die on the cross. But the Bible says that, that if you don't place your faith in Christ, you will face this wrath. What if we included that in our gospel? Things would get serious in a hurry, wouldn't they? Right? How would Christians respond to that kind of gospel? I mean, that's, that's what these men preached as the Spirit led them. Why would they respond? Right? And I can't just challenge that without saying, why would Christians be upset with that? Why, why would churches, why would ministries not put that on their signs? Right? And a lot of it has to do with being in control. Right? Being, being, doing it our way and being in control. And I really see that this was Saul's problem. Saul and his system, he followed a system, and in his system... Jesus' teaching of Jerusalem being destroyed was not part of his gospel, so he had to remove it. It wasn't, I mean, you read the Old Testament scriptures, the day of the Lord's all through it, but it comes because of disobedience. What's the natural conclusion to that? Because we love God, we should be living in obedience. Right? We should be seeking to please him, and that's how we find that harmony that's always there. It's a control thing for Saul. And that is why I see him still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. This message, I mean, it wasn't just them. This message had to stop. This accountability had to stop. Let's remember, and I mentioned this last week, what was the second time, what was the first thing Jesus did as he came up to the temple just before his crucifixion? that Passion Week, what was the first thing he did? He flipped tables, right? He said, this is my, my father's house is a den of thieves, right? This place was in a place of, of disarray. What happens if we were to turn the page? What happens when we have our own gospel, right? What happens? 
We head away from the grace. We head away from this love. We head away from this mercy and compassion. And we don't understand what the way is. Is it possible, and I'm thinking to Saul, is it possible for someone holding the Scriptures, going to the, every feast there ever was, go, go and singing worship in the house of God, participating in that system was there, is it possible for someone to come in and leave spiritually barren? Right? Leave, like, like be, be, be all hands on deck Sunday and leave just like a secular person who has never placed their faith in Christ. Is that possible? And I would say yes. Right? And that's where we start trending where Saul is there with that religious experience. So what would it take to break this man, Saul? And I, and I will say, Saul appears to be that kind of man. He was doing things. I mean, he's Probably, I, I know he'd be tithing as a Pharisee. He's on the council. He's being trained. He's holding the coats as they, they martyr Stephen. He's all in. But he's no different than a secular person. Right? He's no different than a secular, spiritually barren. Saul is following a system. And I got a lot of things there. I mean, we can, we can read. I mean, he had the education. He had the authority. He had everything. But he was missing who Christ is. So what do we do, um, what do we see, sorry, in verse 3, okay? I mean, what would it take to break Saul physically? I mean, we see him on his face. Mentally, he has his own way of thinking his way. Emotionally, we can't separate that. There's a lot of things that end then spiritually. Verse 3 says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. It says, then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Where is that voice coming from? Heaven. Yeah, who, who is this voice that's speaking? We know it. it's King Jesus in glorified form. He's at the right hand of the Father. He literally just showed himself to Stephen, and Stephen gave testimony to that. There's no mistaking that. In our lives, when we're praying, when we're going through difficulty, do we immediately think, like, is that instilled in us that, that my, my shepherd, my king, my savior, he's at the right hand of the Father, and he is desiring to lead my life? Is that one of our first go-tos? Right, that's something there that we have to to work out through our lives because quite often we forget that and we get into mental and emotional distress. But he is, he is the same. He is at the right hand of the Father desiring to lead my life, my marriage, right? The church, that is where the authority comes from, right? King Jesus speaks from his throne. But I also thought as I was thinking, kind of a bad sentence, sorry, Amanda. I thought as I was thinking, but... Uh, uh, verse 3, as he, English teacher, anyway, uh, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And in the quiet of the office and cutting wood and everything else that we've been doing this week, I uh, thought to myself, there's, there's two signs to this setting, isn't there? You have the church in Damascus who's anticipating them coming, right? Like, like you have a body of believers who know Saul is coming for them. 
And you have Saul coming, and I mean, he's got one motivation, and you can only imagine what's coming through the grapevine and what's coming ahead. And, the, and I had this, this picture in the narrative of a body of believers praying, Right? And I mean, they know what Saul's been doing, and he's been throwing them in prisons, and he's been killing them, and he's separating families, and he's destroying house churches, and he's doing that. And, and they're praying, Lord, you know, can you protect us? Right? They're, they're looking to the throne of heaven, saying, Lord Jesus, do something. And what happens? Christ appears. Right? I mean, he, he stops Saul in his tracks. And that's, that's something I'd never really worked before, the idea of Christ from his throne protecting his assembly in this way. He stops this danger. He stops this, this, this government oppression if we, if we were to go there. And we may go there. Um, but I says, think about how and what the church of Damascus was praying for. Right? The protection all the different things going on, right? And I thought to myself, what would churches today do under government pressure? Do we acknowledge that Christ is on his throne? Do we acknowledge that he is the king of kings, that he's been given his highest authority, right? What would the church do today under that kind of pressure? Do we gather for prayer? Right? Do we, do, we, do we independently go in our own ways because this is what I think and this is what I think and this is it? And we've watched that for the past three years. Right? Saul is coming. The government is coming. What would the church have been doing? And we can outline this a little bit more, but I think we will step into it a little bit next week. Right? But this, this thing that I want to leave with us this morning, and we'll read a couple more passages is the idea of Jesus being on his throne. When we give him highest authority, I mean, he confronts Saul right where he is in his life directly from the throne. Does he do that today? Certainly. I mean, last week I was like, share it at the dinner table. Share your Jesus moments with each other. I mean, those things are so important. One of the most powerful moments in my past, because I have many from this week, uh, Harvest House last night being one of them, where I'm like, Jesus, you were giving me this moment, right? Was sitting in a cornfield, trying to sort through my thoughts. I had the book of First Thessalonians open, which, which really, I mean, it was just the big thing that kept coming. It was, I need other people. I can't do this on my own. This isn't my way because it's a very unified book. But, but we have Jesus from the throne. And Saul never gets over this. If you were to read the rest of that, Saul immediately starts proclaiming Christ. So Jesus protects his assembly. He appears to Saul. And it's, it's actually rehearsed three times in the book of Acts, right? His Jesus moment that needs to be shared. Three times Saul records his, his testimony, right? Because that's how, how big and impactful there this was. So maybe there, just in our time, let's go to Acts 22. And we've walked through some very, very serious topics um, already, and I mean, this is a, a very, very unique passage. I mean, he's enraged by Jesus's message. He's killing people. He's hurting people because they don't fit into his system. I mean, we could get into the pride involved, control. I mean, the idea of being a man unbridled. I mean, how do you bring a man like that into check, right? I mean, how do you, you I mean, bar King Jesus on the throne, put him on his face, uh, I mean, it's, it's a hard thing to do. 
But in Acts chapter 22, you'll see there that, uh, again, Saul and Paul at this point um, is sharing his testimony. Acts 22 verse 6. It says, now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And what does he do? King Jesus, he fell to the ground and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Can you imagine there when that kind of dawned on him that he had been persecuting King Jesus? You ever got something wrong, like really wrong? <laughs> I, I get things wrong all the time. I Believe me, I, I know that. Uh, but I mean, think of what his thought, like his, how he processed that. I have been really wrong in this. I've been, I've been persecuting God's anointed chosen one, my king. So, so I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light. Don't get too hung up because Acts chapter 9 says they didn't see. Um, and where they were afraid, they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all the things which you are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of the Lord, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. This bold, prideful man, broken, being led, led like a toddler, <laughs> a toddler in the dark. What's it going to take to break this man Saul, who's got his life together, and he's got his system in mind, and he, he's got his mind made up? What's it going to take? Coming ahead, Acts 26, and then I'm done, I promise. Um, but I do, I do want you guys to just go home and read through these and think about it. We all have family members where we ask that question, what is it going to take for the light of Christ, the, the word of God, to break into that heart, break into that life. My family prayed it for 10 years with my addictions. What's it going to take for, for it to shine in, right? Uh, put him on his knees. Acts 26, again, the testimony. We'll pick it up in verse 12. And these are, these are God's words. There's a reason why it's given in this way. Um, this isn't a story. It says, while this occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, because he's talking to the, the Roman uh, ruler of that jurisdiction, along the road and I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And we had all fallen to the ground. I mean, they had a motive when they were going. And Christ drops them to their knees. I mean, he does what it takes. I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, and that's pretty important there too, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. So I said, who are you, Lord? We'll look at this next week. And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister. I'm sure there's other words we can choose because not everybody takes a pulpit. To make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the people as well as from the Gentiles to those I now send you. And verse 18, 
to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. Now, just before we, we and my time's gone, just before we start thinking about others, was Saul in darkness just prior to Jesus meeting him on the road? He, that was him. Right? And that was him who went to the house of the Lord and, and, and you know, family and heritage and, and legacy and everything there you could ever think of coming through the, the Jewish, Jewish lifestyle. And yet he was in darkness himself. From darkness to life, and this is where it kind of gets scary, because those that aren't following obedience, and, and I'm going to say without going too deep in this, those who haven't placed their faith in Christ, the next part it says, and from the power of Satan to God. Is the world under the sway of the wicked one? Oh, certainly. If you haven't given your life to Christ, guess what? I mean, there is influences, there is the world, there are things that appeal to our hearts that have nothing to do with God, and we'll answer for that. From the darkness to light, from power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me, and everything looks forward to the messianic kingdom, Christ's return. So what would it take this man who had all the education in the world, had the world figured out, had his own plans, I mean, headed in his own direction, what would it take? Ultimately, it's King Jesus from the throne, right? And speaking directly into this man's life puts him on his face, and it's his words that he has to reckon with. It's his message, it's Christ's purpose for his life that he has to come face to face with. And I think that encompasses almost everyone. Right? Those that have placed their faith in Christ, perhaps their lives are not lived in obedience, they know they're struggling. Well, guess what? We need to get on our knees and come face to face with Christ on his throne he has his spirit within us because we placed our faith in Christ and we answer to him. That's what's going to straighten out our, our mind, our emotions, our physical lives, our spiritual lives. And for those that have not placed their faith in Christ and the world is pulling them and this is maybe confusing to them, ultimately, I'm going to say we need to present them with this. And they need to read the words of Christ and understand that this this is what changes Christ. This is the God who sent His Son. This is the, the, the Son who God raised and will change your life. And that's a thanksgiving message. Because we may have some captive audiences here at the dinner table. <laughs> we may have a chance for these conversations. right? And, and ultimately, I'm going to say, it's not supposed to be difficult. So a lot to, lot to go, a lot to continue, but I'll end there. And, and the challenge will be this. Go from here, right? Christ desires to use you. Share this. Share, even, even just the idea of your Jesus moment, right? I mean, I mean, mine from last night there, I thought I was having a rough week. We're at Harvest House, and I meet a woman who's my age. And my, my first thought, I mean, it is Harvest House. I thought she was using. I thought she was on something, just... Just her mannerisms, and did I say that word right? No, mannerisms. Um, just, just how she, and I'm like, well, that's why we're here, right? To, to engage and share the gospel. And I would never, never step back. Like, I mean, I, I, I eat that stuff up. But, but I, I go in and, and, and I make a point of sitting down with her. And here's a woman my age, car accident seven years ago. 
right? Brain injury. Then she had a stroke. And that's why she can't use her hands. And she was one of the most positive people. And I'm like, well, what? her name was Paulina. What's wrong with your eye? And she's like, wow, I woke up Friday morning with an infected cornea. I'm not even sure what a cornea is, but I could tell by her eye. It just like, like I'm just like, oh my goodness. And she was like, but I, I found this Bible study here at, at, at Harvest House three weeks ago, and I've just been coming, and, and, and I'm sitting there, and I, I'm like, you know what, my... This was my Jesus moment. Like, I, I needed her to minister to me. And I'm not even sure whether she's a believer or not, right? And that's what I mean. Like, those are the testimonies that, that come through that, right, right from the throne. So let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do recognize that you are on the throne. And Lord, we are human, and sometimes it takes a bit for us to remember that. Um, we know that Stephen, in his last moments, uh, you blessed him with a, a clear open-eyed experience as you you put him to sleep lord as he took his last breath and lord i just can't help but think lord how much we need your help to open our eyes as we read our bibles as we get quiet and we start our days and we try and navigate let's say the the momentum and pace of life just to keep keep our focus on you lord i just think lord and perhaps there's people in this room lord that just need need to have that moment uh, perhaps there's some in this room like myself who need to be put down to our knees and so that we can see these moments and we can ask those questions lord what would you have me do rather being pulled into the darkness or pulled even back into the things of the world that satan's doing and lord i pray that we would never try and be independent of others Lord, there's a reason why you is so plural all through your scriptures. Lord, it's a together thing. And Lord, lastly, we do want to pray for Israel. I know they've been prayed for, but Lord, I, with our Bibles open, my prayer would be that, that your people would understand, and with mercy and compassion, but we would understand that this is, this is another way as you allow. Lord, I mean, you allow this war to happen. You allow a nation to to people to come against your people. Lord, this is you. And if this is the end, I mean, this is your purging and purifying. Lord, if this is just part of that beginning of sorrows, this is your grace reaching out to your people. Lord, we pray for those innocent that are being hurt. And we pray for, for just the, the casualties of war and what it causes. Lord, we know that Satan is is behind that just eager but lord we know your hand is over all and lord i pray that you'd help us trust that lord i pray that you'd help us process that lord we know that your scriptures say you fight for israel but lord there is coming a time where you will let them walk through what they've chosen and lord i pray that we're talking about this lord if we have questions now is the time to ask lord i pray that we would get around each other and we would process what's going on because that trumpet sounds and we will be caught up and we will be found doing whatever it is that we're doing and i pray that sensitively lord it wouldn't be things of shame lord our marriages lord our, our walks or our parenting or serving or our workplaces lord would be all all pleasing before you Lord, be with us Thanksgiving. Lord, enjoying family. Lord, give us opportunities to share. 
And uh, Lord, we thank you for this time, and I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.